I'm going to be preaching today in the book of Mark. So if you happen to have a Bible app on your phone and you want to read along, you can do that. Otherwise, I'm going to read the verse out to us. The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible. The New Testament starts with four books called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are written as a narrative history of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to learn about Jesus, what he was like when he was here on earth, how he taught, the amazing things that he did, those four Gospels would be an excellent place to start. So Mark was written largely from the testimony of Peter, who was one of the 12 disciples uh, who was closest to Jesus. We're early in Jesus' ministry by the time we get into chapter 2 of Mark, but he is starting to gain some local notoriety. People are beginning to think of Jesus as something special, as a person who has been gifted by God to do miraculous things, and so people are paying attention to his ministry. And so we're going to start by reading verse 1 of Mark chapter 2. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, which is a small town in the northern part of Galilee, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So we have a, a situation here where Jesus is he's preaching, and the crowds have come to hear what he has to say. The, the scriptures in Mark tell us that Jesus preached like nobody else preached. He preached with a kind of authority and a kind of confidence in God that the other teachers didn't possess. And so many people would gather together to hear what he had to teach them. So Jesus is teaching them in a home, and people have packed the place out. It is so crowded that these men who heard that Jesus was in town, who heard that Jesus had healed other people miraculously by the power of God, bring their friend along. Now, their friend is a paralytic. That means he cannot move. He's still alive, but his arms and his legs, they don't function. We don't know if he was in an accident. We don't know if he got sick. But what we know is that his friends care for him, they care for him so much that they're willing to go to extreme measures to get him a chance to be healed. Now, they can't get him through the crowds, and it's probably pretty awkward carrying him on this mat. So they think to themselves, we can't stop. We can't turn around and go home. They climb on the roof of the home. Now, now most of the homes in those days had a roof that was a thatch roof. So there was some structure, and on top of the structure was laid reeds and a straw-like material that would insulate the home and was packed closely enough and had some clay mixed into it so that it was somewhat waterproof. Now these men climb up on the roof and they dig through the hay and the clay and they chip it away. They break it so much that there's a hole and then they lower their friend down through the roof so that he might be near to Jesus so that Jesus might heal him. This is pretty remarkable friendship. I don't know if any of you have a friend like that, right? I couldn't get a friend of mine to help me move, but these guys are, are, are digging holes in roofs and they're doing whatever needs to be done so that their friend, who's a paralytic, can have a chance to be healed. <clears throat> now, if you were Jesus and you were teaching, you had a ca captive audience. Everyone's trying to pay attention to what you have to say. You're saying important things. And suddenly a little bit of rubble starts to fall down from the ceiling. And everyone's stopped. What is that happening? And then a little, a little light breaks through the roof. And before you know it, someone's chipping away and there's a commotion. And no one's paying attention to what you're saying because somebody is breaking a hole through the roof. 
How would you react if you had prepared something to say and you had that going on in the middle of your presentation? You might be frustrated by the distraction. You might be annoyed at these people who are really thinking of their own selves instead of thinking of everybody else who's in that room. You might even be offended. You might take it as disrespect that you've come to say important things to people and yet there's this other thing going on that's drawing everyone's attention away. But Jesus doesn't react in those ways at all. He is not frustrated. He's not annoyed. There is no offense. His goal to come to earth was not just to gain fame for himself. I'm going to read to you from another book of the Bible real quickly. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This describes the reason why Jesus came to earth to do ministry to us. It says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, do you hear that? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's written by the Apostle Paul. And what Paul tells us about Jesus here is very important. <coughs> Jesus did not start existing when he was born to the Virgin Mary. He didn't start existing when he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has always existed. He has existed before time even began because Jesus is one of the three persons of the triune God. The God that we worship, the God of the Bible, is one God who shows himself in three persons. He exists as three beings, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's hard for us to grasp because each one of us is one being who shows ourselves in one person. We, we, we can't even handle the one person we've got. But God being perfect and all-knowing and all-powerful is one being that expresses his existence through three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So Jesus has always been. And before time even began, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit knew that he would make man, he would make woman. He also knew that man and woman would sin against him. And that would create a huge problem. And that that problem would need a solution, and that the solution would not be found among men. So God the Son, before mankind was even created, he decided to do what he did, and what we read in the Gospels. He decided to humble himself and take on the form of man and come to live with us, though he's God. So this God came to exist the way that we exist. He, he took upon himself a limited human form. He was born under the same laws and restrictions that all men are supposed to follow. He was just like us, but he was different and distinct from us in one very important way. And when Jesus walked through the world, someone's breaking through the ceiling right now. I can feel it. Right? <laughs> hey, hey. When Jesus came to the world, <laughs> you're, you're he took on flesh. You're not so. <laughs> I hadn't counted anybody. When he took on flesh, he lived just like we live, but with one big difference. 
He never broke the law of God. Not one time. If we look at ourselves in the mirror, honestly, every one of us knows that we are lawbreakers. We have each lied, every one of us. As hard as we try not to, there are things we have said that we know are wrong. We have taken things that do not belong to us. We have treated each other with, with hatred, with judgment. We have acted as though we are pure when we are not pure. Jesus never broke any of the laws of God. And that's key because the fact that we break God's laws, that's a lot different than just breaking the laws of the land. If I make a law and you break my law, I'm just a man like you. But if you break a law that God makes, God is the one that puts breath in your lungs. God is the one that keeps the stars from falling down and crushing your world. God is the one that gives you life and keeps you alive. So when you break his law, it is of the utmost <coughs> cosmic offense. We don't think like that sometimes. We often just think that, oh, my sins aren't that great compared to everyone else's law. Or law but in reality, each one of us has offended God in mighty ways. So Jesus lived like a man, but minus all the sin. He kept every law. He was guiltless before the Father. So when he came and offered his own life in the place of ours, when he went and died like a sinner, he didn't deserve to die like that. He wasn't dying for himself or for anything wrong that he had done. He was dying for everyone who had put their faith and trust in him. When a sinner bows their knee and humbles their heart before God, the Lord has given them a saving faith. Their sins are paid by the suffering of Jesus. Instead of being judged for their sins, Christ was judged for their sins. Instead of bleeding and hurting for their sins like we deserve to do, Christ died in our place and hurt in our place. And instead of staying dead and being punished forever, those who trust in Jesus will rise like Christ rose. Because he didn't just defeat sin. He had victory <laughs> over death itself. Now that's the Jesus that we're talking about here in Mark chapter 2. And so let's read on and see what else happens. As this hole is opened, a man's been lowered down, everything has been interrupted. Let's see what happens next in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. Scribes were the legal experts on the law of God. They were supposedly holy men, kind of like religious lawyers. They were the ones that could tell you when you were breaking the laws of God. And they're questioning what Jesus is doing in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? And you'll see this right here on the, on the backdrop so you can see what we're reading. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? And the Pharisees had a problem with what Jesus did. Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And to the legal lawyers, that was a big no-no. You see, there is only one who has the power to forgive. Now, these scribes were actually half right. They were right about the fact that only God can forgive sin. Our salvation does not hinge on us forgiving ourselves. You'll hear that a whole lot. But what you really need to do is you really need to forgive yourself. You know, you don't have the power to condemn yourself to hell. God does. 
The forgiveness that needs to be of utmost importance to us is the forgiveness of the judge, of God himself. Our salvation is not dependent upon earthly judges passing down an innocent verdict for us. Our sins are ever before God, and his is the only judgment that matters. And so those scribes, they were absolutely right about that. But they were not right about their skepticism towards who Jesus is. They failed to see, despite a growing body of evidence, despite so many clues that were available to them, that Jesus was not only a man. John the Baptist had come and he prophesied about Jesus and said that this is the one chosen of God. When Jesus was baptized by John, God the Father spoke from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had healed many sick, people that the doctors could not help. He had cast out demons with a word. This was not just a man, folks. This was more than a prophet. This was the Messiah. This was the anointed Savior sent by God, sent to redeem his sinful people. And so these scribes were half right. They were right that only God can forgive sin, but they were wrong about who Jesus was because they didn't realize that God was standing before them in the flesh. Jesus did not shrink away from their accusations or charges. He stood his ground. And so we read in verse 8, again, immediately Jesus, perceiving in the spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. But, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The paralytic man was healed that day, not only of his paralysis, but of his sin. He had trusted in the work that Jesus was preparing to do. Jesus was preparing to go and offer his perfect life on the cross for sinners. And that sacrifice paid for the paralytic's sins. And this is the only way to salvation. It is the same way that people are saved today. Not through necessarily a, a supernatural physical healing, but through a healing of the heart and the soul that only comes from Jesus Christ. we got a lot of people here this morning. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that you are sinners? Do you know that you have offended a holy God by breaking his law? Do you understand what a great offense that is? Do you know that the wages of sin, according to God's word, what he has revealed to us, the consequences of sin is death and his judgment. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know why he came and why you need his gift? <coughs> As we close this morning, I want you to note one more thing. The tenacity of the paralyzed man's friends. What did they do? They did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And that is what this food pantry is about. We are happy to share food with you and bless you with things that will take care of a physical need that you have. But we are also praying every week that the spiritual need that each one of us has, that is much greater than our physical need, will be met in Christ. That God will show you who he is. 
that your sin will become clear to you, that you'll understand that apart from Christ, you cannot wash it away. And our prayer is that one day, that through a ministry like this or through the word preached somewhere else, that God would grab a hold of you and you would recognize, truly, this is the Son of God. I've never seen anybody else who preaches like this. I've never seen anybody else who healed like this. I've never seen anybody else who could cast out demons like this. Jesus alone is the Savior. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this day. We pray that you would help us to understand your word, God. The questions that we have in our hearts about what we've read today are perhaps questions that have nothing to do necessarily with the text but are keeping us from you, God. I pray that you would give us the motivation to seek answers to those questions. Let no... No question stand in the way of someone trusting who you are and knowing who you are for real. We praise you, God, for your word, which reveals you to us. We pray that you would help us to appreciate it and to rejoice in the things it teaches us. May this day be according to your will. Please minister the hearts and the needs of these people here, Lord God, and help this church be a blessing to the people around us. We want you to be glorified in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.